that was pretty cool <laughs> put in there on the piano. It's talent. If you'd invite, uh, invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah, and then also if you will take the worship folder that Mr. Al referenced at the beginning of the service and open that up, and there's a sheet, a white sheet, folded paper there, and that is, will be our notes for this morning. If you're visiting with us, I do want to welcome you again. We're glad that you're with us. Um, I, I want to have a, just a little quick conversation and encouragement to our, to our members for just, just a moment as the one responsible for walking you through the Word on Sunday mornings. I always want to encourage you to persevere, particularly during this time of somewhat transition. Sometimes uh, even people who have been involved with us for some time can begin to wonder, okay, what's going to happen to Crosspoint? Sometimes it feels like you know, it might be things going on. We don't know what's going on. I want to encourage you that if you are a member at Crosspoint, you are the body. You are a minister. And so in this time of transition and you're unsure, you are the stability here. (laughs) You are the workers, the ministers of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you from a passage in Galatians chapter 6. It's verses 9 through 10. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Pay careful attention to these words. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to encourage you members to be involved. I want to encourage you to be servants to prioritize this body, this community of faith in your lives, to be devoted to it. Don't grow weary in doing good. This isn't a a guilt trip or anything of that nature, nothing of that. But I do want to challenge you to spur you on to perseverance towards commitment to this community, to be involved, to give all that you are to this community of faith. To this community of faith. Do not grow weary. In due season, we shall reap but only if we do not lose heart. So be encouraged. I hope you will continue to serve. I hope that you'll find opportunities. Don't come and ask. You hear opportunities to serve, and I hope that you'll respond to those and say, I'll do it. Be willing to do anything, to do anything. So let's get into the book of Jonah this morning. We're walking through a study of the minor prophets. We're We're at Jonah, and I'm excited. Jonah is a unique minor prophet. We've said that about every minor prophet. They're all unique in some capacity, but Jonah is very unique. Uh, Compared to the other minor prophets, which are mostly a collection of the sermons of that particular minor prophet, Jonah is different because it's actually a narrative. It's not simply one sermon, and we're kind of listening on as this prophet speaks. Instead, there's a narrator, and they're telling the story of Jonah, what's very unique and what probably gave this uniqueness to Jonah is he didn't respond like the other minor prophets did, did he? Jonah was asked to give a message, and if he would have responded like the others did, we might have something similar to those other books. But instead, Jonah ran. He said no. He went the other direction. And so instead, we have this story. Excuse me. We have this story of what happens to Jonah. Now, there are going to be many characters in the book of Jonah, or several at least. There, there are the people of Nineveh that we will get to in the chapter 3. There are the men on the boat that Jonah is going to encounter. But the main characters in the book of Jonah are God 
and Jonah. God and Jonah. God has called Jonah to give a message to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a large city in the nation of Assyria, which is also the nation that was despised by Israel in this time because Israel was potentially going to be crushed by Assyria. It was the largest city in this area. But God has said, is going to say in Jonah, that their sins, have God has become aware of them, and God says, go to Nineveh, call them to repentance. It's very interesting, if we look back in history, there is a period where we see some bad things have happened to Nineveh, but then all of a sudden, there's this, something happens, that they turn a corner, and good things, it's the height of this city. And so what's interesting is, for some reason, there's this period where Nineveh begins to do well again. But then eventually they will be thrown over by another nation. It's very possible that this could have happened when Jonah went to them, called them to repentance, and they did repent. And so there's also a a very much a historical setting to what Jonah's going to do and what he's going to say. But again, the main characters in the book of Jonah are God and Jonah. Another thing about narrative and Hebrew narrative, the hero of the story is always God always God. And the reason for this is that the Hebrews knew, they trusted that God was the grand architect of every event. Everything that happened in history was someone was behind it. It was God. Every event. And so the hero of the story is always going to be God. One particular place that you can see this very clearly is in the story of David and Goliath. I referenced this last week. It's a classic piece of Hebrew narrative. Even though David becomes this huge hero in the Israelite history, if you read through that narrative very closely and very carefully, what you will see is there's actually only one hero, and the hero isn't David. It's the God that he kills Goliath in the name of. It's Yahweh. It's the God of Israel. You see, no matter what man does, the the hero of the story is always God. Always God. So as we look at the book of Jonah, we are to look at this relationship between God and Jonah. We're to look at and we're to learn from it. Hebrew narrative is always intended to be somewhat of a didactic teaching. It's to teach us. We're to take the lessons and say, what can we take from what happened between God and Jonah? And so as we look at it, we're going to evaluate God and Jonah and the the things that happen in their relationship, and we're going to see what can we learn from this. Now, as we look at the book of Jonah, there are basically two, not even really points in the first two chapters, but more kind of thematic elements. Really, we're going through almost, you can imagine it as a movie. That's why VeggieTales was always... They're able to do such what they did with it. It is. It's this narrative. It's a story. And so as we look at it, we're going to take away these two main elements. Elements. There is a path of disobedience, and there is also a path of repentance. A path of disobedience and a path of repentance. As we begin, we're going to walk through chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. So I would ask you to stand with me, and we'll read these first verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us. On whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this wonderful, amazing story. God, of your power and of your involvement in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would learn from Jonah, that we would learn not to be like Jonah. God, that we would see your faithfulness, your control, your wisdom, Lord, and your great, great love. God, I pray that this path of disobedience that's so clear in Jonah, Lord, that it would show us sins in our own lives. God, I pray that it would convict us and it would turn us towards you. Thank you that we will also see a a path of repentance and the redemption, Father, that you bring. You, the God of all love and of all kindness. We praise you and we pray that you would be exalted. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Again, we first see a path of disobedience here in Jonah. We see this as Jonah deliberately disobeys the voice of God. This is in verses 1 through 3. God has called Jonah to go to Nineveh, to these people that would be probably despised by Israelites, obviously despised by Jonah. And instead, Jonah goes the other directions. But pay close attention to all the verbs that are used here. God has called Jonah to go. But in verse 3, we see several repetitive verbs showing that Jonah is taking step after step in deliberate disobedience to God. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The next verbs. He went down to Joppa. Again, he's going further and further away from the direction God's called him to go to Nineveh. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship 
going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. There's an exchange of money. Jonah probably had to give a lot of money for this fare. And then he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. As we read this passage very carefully, there's an intentional repetition of these verbs where Jonah is taking step after step deliberately disobeying what God's called him to do. Deliberately disobeying what God has called him to do. You see, every small step of disobedience was part of Jonah's larger objective to get away from the presence of the Lord. This is what Jonah really wanted to do, to get away from God's presence where God was calling him to go to Nineveh. So Jonah takes step after step, every one, a part of this larger purpose to get away from God, to get away from what God wanted him to do. This is very applicable to us. All our sinful habits are much the same. They're small steps of rebellion, many of them, with one aim, to get out from under God's rule and purpose. You see, if we looked at our, if we spent time thinking about our sinful habits in our own lives, we would be able to see that it's not just one thing, it's not just one decision, but it's many decisions where we're really trying to get out from under what God wants us to do, God's call on our lives, what he's really telling us we have to do. Jonah was deliberately disobeying the voice of God. Now, we do need to ask, because God came very clearly to Jonah in some way. We don't know how, but God came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. Now, I don't know if any of you have any things like that where God speaks out of the sky and tells you to go somewhere. So how do we, how do we hear God's voice? How are we to hear God's voice? I've provided some passages for you. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I know that this says the man of God, but church, this means everyone. If you study the Word of God, the Word of God is what He uses to teach you, to correct sin in your life, to point out those areas that you're not completely giving over to Him. If you're not studying God's word, it's going to be very difficult, practically impossible for you to hear the word of God. So know this, if you're not studying his word, you're already walking in disobedience. This is, this is his main means of speaking to you. It's through his scripture, through his word. And so if you're not reading this, you're already on the wrong track. Another passage that says a similar thing. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is where we go to see what our true desires are to see what our heart really desires. God uncovers the surface level things and shows us where our heart really is, where our worship really lies. And so it's in going to God's word that he speaks to our heart, that we see the truth. So God speaks to us through his word. If you're not reading this, if you're not studying this on a regular basis, then you're not hearing him. Very likely you're not hearing him. Also, the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. 
This is not in your notes, so please write this down. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. Jesus says, When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will come to us, and he will speak to us. But notice what he speaks to us about. He speaks to us about the Word, about Christ. And so the intention is not that you would just hear from the Holy Spirit. The intention is that you hear from the Word, and as you hear from the Word, you're hearing from His Spirit. You're hearing from His Spirit. So again, let me emphasize, Christian, or if you call yourself Christian, do you study, do you read the Bible? This is God's means of speaking to you. God clearly revealed His Word to Jonah, and Jonah clearly disobeyed. If you're not reading God's Word, you're clearly disobeying. You're deliberately disobeying because you're ignoring what He's giving to you. And so I cannot emphasize enough, we must read His Word. This is where we hear from Him. This is where the thoughts and intentions of our heart, the sin in our lives is revealed. And this is where we dwell intimately with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word. So you must dwell, you must study the Word. This is where we hear from Him. Also, just a a very clear thing, where we hear from God. Jesus said, the mission of the church, the mission of the disciples, Matthew 28, if you want to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's go and make disciples of all nations. This is in every gospel, the Jesus says the mission of his people is to go make disciples of all nations. This is the mission of the church. And so the obvious question comes, is making disciples a priority in your life? Is your life organized around this one main purpose, thrust, you making disciples of people of all nations? If we looked at where your money goes, not that... Anyone is checking how much you tithe, but if we looked at that, would it show that you're prioritizing making disciples of all nations above everything else in your life? This isn't a subjective thing. It's very objective from the Word of God that the church's mission, the mission of God's people, is to go and make disciples. If you're not obeying that, if you're not doing that, then like Jonah, we are deliberately disobeying the voice of God. This is what he has told his people. To make disciples. Is this your life? Is this what you lay your life down for? I would encourage you to look at your priorities. Look at how you spend your time every day. How are you praying for unreached people groups like we talked about? How are you getting this into your mind and to your heart? God's mission. God's deep love for the nations. God's deep love. And so the application. Are you hearing God's voice? Are you hearing God's voice? And sometimes I understand it's a struggle. We wrestle. Sometimes we read the word and it seems so dry. But the command is study his word. Obey him regardless of how dry it feels. And we fight through that. And this is how we are to hear from the Lord. Also, are you obeying the Lord daily? The path of disobedience begins with this. Deliberately disobeying the voice of God. Are you obeying him daily? Are you walking by his spirit? This is what Jonah was not doing, and this is what got him into a a bad, bad 
place. And we'll see more of this soon. The next thing about this path of disobedience, and I don't mean this harshly, it will, it will sound that way. The path of disobedience is illogical. It doesn't make sense. Look at what Jonah said. Jonah's intention, we see this in a couple places, Jonah, in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is Jonah's objective. This is his intention. It's there in verse 3. It's also at the bottom of that same verse, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this would make sense, except there are some things that we know that Jonah would have known. Psalm 139, 8 through 12. This is in your notes. David says about God, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jonah would have been familiar with teachings like this about God, that there was nowhere you could go to get away from God's presence. He would have been familiar with things like this. Also, God is calling him to go to Nineveh, right? Nineveh is a completely pagan territory. If God dwells in Nineveh, why would he not dwell wherever else Jonah is trying to go? You see, Jonah is trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, even though he knows from the things he's been taught as a prophet that you can't get away from the presence of the Lord. It's impossible. Now, I'm not saying Jonah's dumb. I'm not saying Jonah's dumb. We all begin to think crazy, illogical things when we're walking in disobedience. This is just the truth. When you begin to walk in disobedience and want to justify it, you will think anything, no matter how outlandish it might be. And that's why you need people in your life who will speak truth to you. But there's also something else probably going on here with Jonah. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, which dwelt among his people very obviously in Israel. There were many prophets in Israel. We've studied many of them already who would have been speaking God's word in the area. And so one thing that Jonah might have been been trying to do is not only to get away from God's presence completely, but possibly trying to get away from God's people. He wanted to get out of an area where he would continue to hear God's truth proclaimed, where he would continue to maybe feel conviction on this disobedience. The experience of all of us would tell us that when we reject God, we begin to run and hide. When we reject God, when we disobey Him, our first reaction is to try to run and to try to hide. Some of us don't come to church anymore. We don't want to be here amongst God's people where they might question us and say, what's going on in your life? What's wrong? Why haven't you been here? Things like that. We don't want to hear that. And so we might not come to church anymore. Some might continue to come. You're here, but you might harden your heart. You might harden your heart to conviction. You might hide your heart from any examination by other people. You don't want intimate relationships with people who are in God's family. You see, Jonah might have been trying to escape God's presence, but he might also have been trying to escape God's people. He wanted to get out of Israel, out of this place where God's word was proclaimed, where prophets continued to send messages that might be convicting. 
And so, so Jonah leaves. Let me make one more point here on it. Jonah's disobedience being illogical. If you look far enough down the road with your choices, disobedience will never make the most sense. If you look far enough down the road when you're making a choice and you're choosing between disobedience and obedience to the Lord, disobedience will never make the most sense. Never. And when you look on down the road, when you look far enough, you will see that God's way is always best. God's grace, his presence is always best. And this comes through obedience. Through obedience. And so, disobedience is always illogical. It's foolish. We lose the intimacy, the presence of the Lord. And that is where we dwell in joy. Where life does, in a sense, it may be confusing, but we have peace because we're with God. And so, disobedience will always be in the long run, illogical, foolish. Next, disobedience costs us and others greatly. This is what we see from Jonah. Disobedience will cost us and others greatly. Look at the next scene as Jonah gets in the boat with these men. We look at verse 5. We first see it costing as these the storm hits, and in verse 5 it says, The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So the first thing that they have to do is throw all the cargo out of the ship. Now these men knew this storm was happening for a reason. I don't, we don't know if it came out of nowhere or what happened, but these men knew when this storm came that something very unusual was going on. You see, Jonah's sin had caused this storm, Jonah's rebellion, and instantly it cost. These men began frantically trying to find out what to do. They throw all the cargo off the ship. All the cargo. So the first cost is we see these men throwing out the cargo, and then in verses 13 through 15, Jonah's sin puts these men in a predicament. They would never want to commit murder, and that's actually what they think they would be doing if they throw Jonah over the ship. You think they're expecting a whale to come swallow him up and save him? No. When Jonah says, throw me over, what Jonah is saying is, get rid of me, kill me. This is the only thing that is going to save things. In verses 13 through 15, nevertheless, the men rode hard. You see, they don't want to throw Jonah over. Even after Jonah's told them this is the only way. They tried to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay it not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So the men eventually are willing to throw Jonah over. The point we need to make here is if Jonah's sin affects these guys that he doesn't even know. Remember, he doesn't know these guys. This is a random ship, and he decides, let's get on it. It's going away from Israel. This is where I want to go. How might our sin affect those that we love? Affect those that we live closest to? You see, there are results from our sins. When we disobey God, things around us happen. Men, when you're not leading your families well in the ways of the Lord, when you're not trembling at this responsibility that you will be held to account for your wife and for your children, 
Man, your sin affects your family. It affects this church. If you're not leading well, your, your family is affecting the church. Jonah's sin affected these men that he had never met before in his life. Look around you. How is your sin affecting those around you every day? This is we should strive for holiness out of love for the Lord, but also out of love for those around us. This is where God's blessings lie in obedience and faithfulness. So disobedience cost others greatly, but we also see Jonah. They found him asleep, verses 5 through 6. At the end of verse 5, it says that Jonah was fast asleep. Well, you might think, well, man, this disobedience thing is pretty good. Jonah's in the bottom of the ship just sleeping while everybody else is freaking out. It says Jonah was fast asleep. This is not any normal sleep. This is the same sleep that God caused on Adam when Adam's rib was taken out to make Eve. You see, this is a deep, deep sleep. What it probably is, is almost a depressing sleep. Jonah is worn out. What the text is trying to tell us is that Jonah's disobedience has caused him to be so down that he is almost comatose. He's just laid out. Out cold, as some would say. And so Jonah is fast asleep. He's deep in sleep. His sin has caused him to be in this unusual state. It's not normal, peaceful sleep. That's not what's going on. And so Jonah is in a point of probably depression. And then in verse 12, we see more of what's going on with him. He tells them the only hope for you to get things right, for you to make it, for you men to live, is for you to throw me overboard. You see, Jonah was in despair to the point of death. Despair to the point of death. It wasn't, I'll repent, I'll follow God, I'll go back to Nineveh, maybe God will save us. Instead, it was, throw me overboard, I'll die, but it'll save all of you. You see, Jonah's sin brought him to this point. He disobeyed God to the extent, and he was rebelling against him to the extent that he said, I just need to die. This is the only end in sight. I have to die. I have to die. So disobedience. It costs us and others greatly. It is illogical. And it is a deliberate rejection to the voice of God. A deliberate rejection to the voice of God. But in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all that goes on in this book, as we continue to read, we see a path of repentance. A path of repentance. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to read these for us. As Jonah is thrown overboard, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Here we see the path of repentance. And the first thing we see about this path is that it requires more than prayer. It requires more than prayer. You see, in chapter 1, the men came to Jonah while he was fast asleep. And they said, why don't you pray to your God? Maybe your God will hear us and save us. But evidently, that would not have been enough. Because in the text, Jonah, we don't see Jonah praying. But what we do see implicitly is that Jonah knows he doesn't just need to pray. He needs to go to Nineveh for things to get right. Or he needs to be killed. You see, in repentance, prayer is not enough. Jonah couldn't just pray, God, I'm sorry I didn't go to Nineveh. Will you just fix and work all this out now? That wasn't sufficient. It was obedience or death. Those were his options. It looks like Jonah was deciding on death. But prayer couldn't solve the dilemma. And here's what we try to do often. Even our, in our repentance, we try to squirm our way around obedience by not really doing anything. We may try to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. But you see, if we don't change, it's not repentance. It's not repentance. And so I want to ask you, all of you, if your life hasn't changed, do you think you've really repented? The word behind repentance in the Greek metanoia, it means to change, to turn. If your life hasn't changed, you haven't repented. That was the implication for Jonah. It wasn't just a prayer. That wasn't enough. It was, you must go back. You must turn. You must obey God. So the first thing we see about this path is that it requires more than prayer. The next thing we see is that this repentance is orchestrated by God. It's orchestrated by God. Again, what we've seen from Jonah is that he thought he was just going to die. If he's going overboard, do you think he expected to be swallowed by a whale? And how many people do you know that have been swallowed by a whale have also lived? I don't know any. Jonah did not expect to be saved. But verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Listen, this is very clear. It wasn't Jonah who provided this opportunity for him to repent. It was God. It was only God who provided this opportunity for Jonah's repentance. Repentance is orchestrated by God. This is also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. But Jonah says in verse 3, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows have passed over me. You see, God is working in Jonah. Then Jonah said, 
I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. This language is Jonah saying, I'm close to death. He was at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is Sheol, the place of the dead. And then Jonah says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You brought up my life. And Jonah will say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Repentance is God's gracious enabling of God on our lives, where we're able to surrender to Him in a faith, obedience. This is also consistent throughout the Scriptures. John six forty four. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Romans 1, 19 through 21 In these passages, we see that God has revealed himself to men so that they might acknowledge him, turn, and worship him. But many don't. And in those cases, God lets these men rebel and they suffer their own destruction. So here's what we see. We see that God is orchestrating this opportunity of repentance. But throughout the scriptures, we often also see that God lets these men, if they choose, reject that. They reject him. Proverbs 29.1 He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. God provides this opportunity for us. God orchestrates this opportunity for us to repent, to turn to him. But when we don't, if we continue down a path of rebellion, he will let us suffer our own self-destruction and his wrath. His wrath. And so, church member maybe, are you rejecting God's repentance? The message of God is always turn to Christ. Are you living in sin? Turn to Christ. It's always repent and believe. At every moment of your life, it's trust in Christ. And if you don't, God will bring judgment. God will bring judgment. And so we see in Jonah that the repentance is orchestrated by God and God brings this turn in Jonah's life. We also see that repentance is God's means of redemption. It's God's means of redemption. In several ways, we're going to see that God rescues Jonah through the whale. Jonah embraces God's grace. And we're seeing redemption in Jonah's life. But also, we're seeing foreshadowing of future redemption. Foreshadowing of future redemption. First, we see it in Jonah. Jonah's saved from death. And in chapter 3, we'll see God speak to him again. We'll cover this next week. But as soon as as Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord, and then God speaks to the whale, and the whale spits him back out, the next thing that happens in in chapter 3 is a repetition of what happened in chapter 1. And it's God saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. You see, God is brought about this process of redemption in Jonah's life, and this will lead to obedience in his life. Also, though, we see this foreshadowing. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, where we see this. Jesus is affirming the redemptive nature of what happened to Jonah. 
In Matthew 12, 39, this is in your notes, Jesus says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, God saved Jonah, and he would eventually rescue the Ninevites through this proclamation by Jonah of repentance. Likewise, Christ's death and resurrection would bring salvation to a host of men and women, to many men and women. Christ is paralleling this redemptive event in Jonah's life and this redemptive, even greater redemptive event that's to come, that he will die and that he will rise. There's also a great contrast here. The rebellious Jonah, but the perfectly obedient Christ that God still uses this rebellious Jonah. But through this perfectly obedient Christ, He saves many, brings many to salvation through the blood of His own Son. We also see parallels, however, in the power of God. The power of God that works with Jonah and the power of God that works in us. Chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The Lord in his power spoke to a whale, caused him to swallow up this man, but not, it doesn't kill him, and then somehow also tells the, the whale, spit him out on the land, and he spits him out on the land. It is the Lord's power that brings this redemption to Jonah and also preserves him. Likewise, this is what happens to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? God worked this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead, but also in us, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 4 through 5. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, the powerful working of God for Jonah that saved him, that preserved him and redeemed him for work and obedience also is what redeems us, that brings us from death to life, that brings us from evil to light, and that uses you in obedience uses you in obedience. Jonah was rescued by God's grace and he was enabled to repent by God's grace. And next week we will see his travel to Nineveh and obedience to God. But there's one more thing we want to note here. That the path of obedience that we'll see next week is also a result of God's grace. You see, we can't just claim salvation as God's and then we keep going and we'll say the rest is us. us. It is God who saves and then God who continues this work in us. It's God's grace that enables Jonah to repent and then to walk in obedience as well as we'll see next week. There are two verses that I want to give you in application to all this. These are Philippians and I believe they're written in your notes. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says to the people of Philippi, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
It's incredible that God hangs with Jonah the way he does. Jonah, despite his rejection, God is willing. And God preserves him, rescues him, and then even uses him. And the same is true of us. God comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ, and he's willing to save us from our sins. But then he's willing to continue this work in us, not only willing, but determined. If he begins this work in us, he will complete it. He will carry it on. And so I want to ask you, how is this work in your life? This good work that Paul talks about in Philippians 1, is it progressing in you? Are you seeing transformation? It's not God's fault if you're not. You are to be seeking Him. He will complete this work. He is determined. Are you seeking Him? Also, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you trust God's working in you, even when you don't feel it? Do you trust that if you persevere, that if you lay your life down, that no matter what happens, God is working in you and he is sanctifying you, no matter how difficult the circumstances around you may be? That God's purposes are for good in your life and that he is transforming you. And if you trust, if you trust, believer, that God is working in you, that he's trying to sancti- that he is sanctifying you, then this will be displayed by your willingness to work out your salvation. You to lay down your life, to seek him through his word, to pursue him in every way by serving in the church, by giving your life on mission fields, wherever it may be, by investing in other believers, mentoring. Are you trusting God to do this work, to use you greatly? This will be displayed by your devotion, by your working it out. And so, are you trusting a God like the God in Jonah? Are you persevering in the faith? Are you trusting him? The message in Jonah, while we see this great God, the message of Jonah is, don't be like Jonah. (laughs) Don't be stubborn. Trust a God who is good. Trust a God who is gracious. And who will use you for his glory and obey him. Don't fall into these steps, these rebellious steps of disobedience like Jonah did. When you hear the voice of the Lord through his word, submit and obey and trust that he is there to see you through. That he will give you strength. That he will sustain you. Do you trust these things? I want to invite the musicians to come forward. And this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity to to pray and we'll stand and we'll sing together to worship as well. But I do want to ask you, you, are you studying the Word? This is where we started. Are you studying God's Word so that you might hear Him through His Spirit and that you might obey Him? Are you already in a process of disobedience where you're not committed to the Word? don't study it. You don't listen to it. 
Do you see that the process of disobedience, a path of disobedience, is completely illogical? You can't get away from God, and it will always leave you in misery in the end. That if you look far enough down the road, that following the Lord is always best. It is always best. And believer, do you see that your disobedience hurts others? It is painful for others. It's to their detriment. And that you will be held account. That you will be held account for this. And then the path of repentance. It is one of redemption. It is painful, but it is one of redemption. Prayer is not enough. It must be turning. And so for those who might be visiting with us, those who are here, might even be church members, but you haven't turned. There's no proof of repentance in your life. Do you need to repent? Do you need to turn? You can do that today. Turn to the Lord. He is gracious and good. Will forgive your sins. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Make you His own. Dwell in you by His Spirit. Will you repent? We follow Him. That is a redemptive path. Redemptive path that's in His Son. And so I just want to invite you this morning. I want to give you a couple minutes. I'll be here. Mr. Al's sitting over here. I don't, uh, Dr. David's not in here, but... You can talk to someone. We're available. And then in a moment, we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.